those university lectures were really helpful in learning how to navigate the file system, how to edit files, how to list files, how to use cat and less and more. But what's interesting, uh, we were actually exposed to Vim before we were exposed to Nano. Well, I, I will say that um, it's better Vim than Emacs. So one of the first thing I learned in these lectures was how to exit Vim. Welcome to Midcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Feeling old, I'm Joe. Still compiling my greetings line, I'm Norbert. Just short of ambulatory, I'm Josh. I'm Clayton, just an end user of Linux. This is episode 376.5, recorded on Sunday the 12th of December. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org, join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly mintcast.org. In our innard section, we talk about our favorite command line tools. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Okay, and today we are discussing the best ways and sources to learn the command line and our favorite command line tools. Um, starting with myself, the way that I really forced myself to learn the command line was through immersion. Um, I, I forced myself to learn the command line by doing everything there. When I finally decided that I was going to do computers professionally, I just switched full-time Linux and did everything I could from the command line or from the terminal and including launching applications, all my installs and updates, uh, compression and decompression, um, git pulls, wgets. Um, so if I wanted to download, download something from the internet, yes, I would find the web page, but then I would use wget to, um, pull it locally or to, you know, download it locally. And then X11 configs, um, <clears throat> instead of using any of the built-in display managers or anything like that, I would use X11 configs to set things up the way that I wanted. Um, I, I was doing my own FS tab setups instead of using the uh, driver's tool. Now, granted, when I first started doing this, the driver's tool didn't exactly work all that well for... Um, setting up what happened when a drive connected at boot. So FS tab was pretty important. And then also cron tab configurations were another way that I learned. Um, I, I really do like cron tab for automation. So once you really got those things going down or, you know, understood, you can start writing scripts to make your life easier and still use the command line. You could also write launchers as well. Um, scripts really aren't anything more than a series of bash commands saved in a file. Now, granted, when I started, a lot more command line was required. Um, and But if you get stuck, Google is your friend, and so is ArchWiki. If you really want to learn, ArchWiki is a great, great tool. Um, and don't be afraid to break your system when you're starting out. 
save the important stuff externally make copies of difficult to set up configurations so you're not trying to redo the impossible over and over again. Um, now, my favorite command line tools um, or things that, you know, actually get you to use the command line, uh, Docker. It's great for standalone applications and you'd be surprised how many times I would have to connect to the terminal inside of a Docker image to find a file location or to adjust a configuration or to move something to where I could pull it out so that I could study it at my leisure. <clears throat> so yeah, and you do start um, Docker images from the command line as well. And you also have to know which arguments to pass and things like that. So it is good for learning the command line. Um, YouTube DL. Now it, it is good for making extremely complex commands. Um, <clears throat> that you can make yourself and it will teach you a lot. And while you should go find other people's commands and copy and paste them and change them as needed, you will need to go through them to find what needs to be changed to fit your particular circumstances. Um, on another one for basically learning about uh, configuration files and automation is transmission CLI. A lot of people use transmission GUI I, I recommend Transmission CLI if you really, really want to get down and and <clears throat> learn the automation portion of it and really get into the configuration file and do everything yourself. Now, along with YouTube DL, because it uses a lot of the tools from it, I would say FFmpeg and for the conversion of files. And much like YouTube DL, the commands can get extremely complex and are a very good way to learn what's going on on the command line. Um, and yeah, it it is a super powerful tool and you will be surprised at all the other tools that use FFmpeg in the background, including things like YouTube DL, Handbrake, anything that you can think of that basically touches video or audio. Um, also, I want to suggest something uh, a fellow podcaster showed me a couple of years ago uh, called Bandit, um, which is a game to teach you Linux command line. And I have posted the um, link here. It's overthewire.org slash wargames slash Bandit. Um, I have played it. I haven't gone all the way through. There's so much to do there. Um, but it is certainly fun and you probably will need quite a bit of Google foo to figure out some of the things that you've not seen before, especially if you're brand new. Um, there are sites out there that will walk you through or provide you hints, or if you really get stuck, give you the answer, but definitely, definitely a good way to learn and try it out. I highly recommend, um, the game called bandit from, overthewire.org. Try it out. Great way to learn Linux. The only way to get to the next level is to solve the problem. Um, a listener also sent an email, but they asked us not to specifically read their email. So I'm just providing uh, the links that they provided uh, of useful playlist on um, <clears throat> YouTube called Linux command line. Uh, what is Linux command line? And I have looked, I haven't gone through everything, but it does seem like it would be helpful. 
And then there's also a, another link to a website um, from the Frugal Computer Guy at the Fugal Computer Guy, FrugalComputerGuy.com. And it's Linux command line overview. That link will also be in the show notes. And unless you guys have anything you want to add on my section, let's move on to Josh. All right. Well, as much as I hate to admit it, I've probably forgotten more about the command line than I currently know. I definitely played with it a lot more when I was uh, first getting started in Linux. But with GUI tools increasing in both the number and functionality, I find that I use it less now than ever before. That said, I still do use it for some basic functions, particularly on my Debian install, not quite as much on Mint. I think that every Linux user should at the very least know how to utilize their package manager in the terminal. So for those of us on Debian-based distros, that would be apt or apt. So examples would be updating and upgrading system packages, installing removing software, and using auto-remove to keep the system clean, but use that one with care because it can occasionally remove files vital to the system. So always check what it's going to uninstall before executing it. I have yeah. personal experience with that one. I definitely want to jump in right there and mention that he's absolutely right on that. Do not use your auto-remove the first time you install a new kernel because then that will prevent you from using the old kernel if the new kernel is broken. Yes. So yeah, absolutely use with caution on that one. <laughs> also, uh, learn how to use CD to navigate your... Uh, file system from within the terminal and use in conjunction with the ls command to list files from each directory that can be very helpful and quicker than uh, gui in some cases and another one i deem important is knowing how to use a terminal-based text editor in my case that would be nano in order to make quick edits to files and again it's generally faster than using the gui especially when root privileges are needed uh, graphical terminal applications such as HTOP can also be very useful while bridging the gap between standard commands and full-on GUI tools. Touch is a great command to create new files or update timestamps on existing ones. And man pages are your friends in the CLI. Learn how to use it. It will give you information about the command itself and how to extend its functionality utilizing arguments. Remember that the terminal is a powerful tool, and it must be used with extreme care. For as much good as it can do, it can also wreak havoc if used without discretion. As tempting as it can be when attempting to solve an issue, never run random commands that you run across online. They may be out of date, may be intended for a different distro, or on occasion intentionally malicious. So always make sure you know what the command is going to do, before you execute it, and that it's coming from a trusted source. And uh, I wanted to say that a resource that helped me understand the terminal when I was new to Linux is an eight-part bash series by Joe Collins on YouTube. And it really assumes that you are absolutely brand new to the terminal. Because I remember when I first installed Ubuntu as my first distro, I remembered pulling up the terminal for the first time and thinking, this is what everyone was on about. Here's this big, powerful box that can do it all. But I had no idea what to do. I just had a flashing cursor and I was like, okay. So 
this uh, series helped me a whole bunch. And I put a link to that in our check this out section so that uh, if you'd like to look at that, you can. So if nobody has anything to add to that, I will pass it on to Norbert. What's interesting is I never actively decided to go in and properly learn the terminal. But the initial reason why I switched to Linux was uh, that it was required for my university studies. And in multiple cases, in different lectures and practical classes, they actually went and explained uh, the command line to us and even gave us uh, little cheat sheets and uh, resources about on how to use the, the basic commands. Now, I do find it interesting that um, the two of you have mentioned that you didn't really need to learn the command line or that you were able to do everything on the computer without learning the command line first. Well, I'm not saying that because even years ago when I first used Linux uh, for a couple of months, Linux, uh, Linux Lite, I did use App to install things. So at least I was familiar with how App worked before I had to switch because of university. But uh, those university lectures were really helpful in learning how to navigate the file system, how to edit files, how to list files, how to use cat and less and more. But what's interesting, uh, we were actually exposed to Vim before we were exposed to Nano. Well, I, I will say that um, it's better Vim than Emacs. So one of the first things I learned in these lectures was how to exit Vim. So one of the most important uh, tools that we had to use uh, for our university was SSH because we would have to SSH into various uh, servers that are more powerful. Those that had like 64 to 128 uh, threads and 200 gigs of RAM for any more uh, resource intensive things there. And this was around the time when I already moved to Manjaro and I did start using the command line for updating the system. I never really used uh, a GUI software store on Linux. Oh, wait, no, I did use Manjaro's Pemec a couple of times, but then I realized that I went there less and less and, and started using Pacman more and more. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Paru, which is an AUR helper. It's a, it's a fork of EA, but it's written in Rust. So after I started uh, using the AUR, I moved from Pacman to using only Paru, which is only a wrapper for Pacman, but it can search the AUR and when I type a search command, it lists matches from the Arch repos as well as from the AUR. And while I think XBPS, Void Linux's uh, package manager is way faster, I don't really like how information is laid out in XBPS. So I think because of that, Pacman and Paru might be my favorite uh, package manager. And then I started using uh, Nano and Git and stuff like that, that uh, people commonly use. So while I still use a lot of GUI applications, for example, I use a GTK version of transmission because I like how GTK apps look generally. I still frequently go to the command line for stuff that uh, is more efficiently done there. For example, I'm also using YouTube DL, which can also fetch uh, uh, videos from Twitch. And I'm using it uh, to get the votes from, uh, from streams that I'm doing with my friend on his Twitch channel for editing later. And it's a lot more convenient than, the, for example, what I've been using on Windows, which was a uh, Twitch leecher. Yeah, YouTube DL is great. It will pull video from anywhere. And even if you just uh, use uh, MPV from the command line and paste a YouTube URL after that, it will open the YouTube video in MPV, which is also very convenient. So I think if you're talking about YouTube DL, uh, MPV is also uh, worth mentioning. So yeah, I've been using fairly common common utilities like uh, Nano and uh, Git, HTOP, uh, sudo, cfdisk. Uh, sudo and cfdisk I want to highlight, uh, especially because uh, most people use sudo just to elevate privileges, but I, re I recently learned about how it has way more functionality. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of shows ago, I put uh, sudo edit into 
uh, check this out, which is an alias for sudo-e, which is a way of editing uh, system files without directly editing them. It creates a temporary copy of that file and you edit that and after you save it, it will replace the original one with that. So you still need to input your password, but it's uh, not giving Nano itself privileges to edit the file directly or whichever uh, text editor you use. And uh, save disk because uh, a lot of uh, tutorials and uh, guides about installing very various Linux distributions like Arch and Gen2 mostly use fdisk. But I, I found that cfdisk has all of the functionality that I need. It can even, uh, if the disk doesn't have a partition table, cfdisk can even uh, offer to create a partition table and uh, choose between various ones. An interesting uh, CLI tool that I would like to mention is AutoCPU Freak, which is when I was looking for ways to uh, optimize and improve battery life uh, on my tablet and my laptop, and I tried TLP, which didn't really make much of a difference on my Surface tablet, and when I found AutoCPU Freak and tried it, it could actually limit uh, CPU speeds to its minimum that is defined in, in the BIOS. So from 16 to 2000 megahertz, it brought it down to 800 megahertz, which actually gave me, I think, an extra hour while watching movies. I found out about this tool in a video by Chris Titus, and I think it's the best power management tool that I, that I ever used on Linux. It did uh, make my system kind of slow, and because I'm using GNOME on that tablet, GNOME started lagging a bit. Maybe I should look into uh, switching to XFC on my tablet as well. As for learning about the command line, like I said, I never actively decided to learn that. I was lucky to get uh, the basics that I needed from university lectures and also from it doing an Arch installation. So when I decided to do an Arch installation for the first time, I think I didn't only pick up knowledge about how Linux system works, but also various commands that I didn't use before. I think one of the most powerful commands that I use might be just LN for creating symlinks, because I have almost every directory in my home folder linked to an external drive because I wanted to keep my configs on the root partition in my home directory when multi-booting different uh, distros while still being able to use the directories in my home directory for storing files and not uh, having to store them on the root partition. So I think that that about covers it what I wanted to share. What about you, Clayton? Yeah, I uh, very seldom use Clyde uh, line, the command line. Uh, the only time I've ever had problems with this, like printers, where uh, my printer would be older than the new uh, cups, and I would have to go out and find the older cup to work. I got to do that now that I updated again on the uh, desktop here, and uh, it's it's kind of picky for my printer because I bought the printer. Uh, I got two printers, laser color printers for $5 a piece. Uh, one's got a motherboard problem with it, and if you ever try to open a walnut, that's about how this thing feels. It's not a computer case. It's totally different. Um, but the uh, other printer, it said all it needed was a um, there's a waste tray in the bottom of it and uh, a roller tray to feed them. Well, the roller tray uh, doesn't feed them because the last roller one that was in there had little rubber bands on each side of the belt, and they would uh, break up, and they, I believe they're in the wheels of the printer uh, for feeding the paper. But bottom line is, is i got to get it back to where I can set it up to manual feed for now. 
said I plan on uh, probably updating this to a dual uh, sided one because it prints real well and uh, all I had to do is buy uh, a lot of expensive components you know all that stuff is I want I wanted to get away from my bubble jet because uh, that's just a waste of time I got me a laser printer a uh, black and white just mono uh, a couple years back curbside Somebody threw it out. Somebody cut the cord on it, and uh, the guy would have opened the case. He could have had the whole cord because it was just a 90-degree angle on it. And I ordered one, put the cord in, and it printed. It just needed a toner. Put a toner in it. I've got a printer. I've been running on the same toner cartridge for two and a half years. So I think it was worth uh, buying the cord and the printer toner. Uh, well, most of the discussion that I put in was for, like, regular, normal desktop use. There are a couple other tools that I want to mention that should be talked about if you're planning on doing a lot from the command line. And um, those tools are uh, grep, awk, and sed. Now, um, I do actually use grep quite a lot. Uh, I don't use awk and sed as much as I used to because I'm not dealing with, um, you know, log files as much as I used to at work. So, but like grep, grep is an extremely useful tool. You can see that I used that earlier to um, fix some of the loopback issues that I was having and it is up on the live stream right now, so it might make things difficult for some of the uh, audio-only people. But um, essentially, it was just an LS mod, and then pipe that. In, oh yeah, pipe, pipe that into grep, and then use what I'm searching for. Now, the most common thing that I use grep for is with um, history, so I don't have to be constantly relooking things up. Uh, history will give you everything you've ever typed into the terminal in the past. Um, actually, I don't know how far back it goes, but uh, now I can history, pipe, grep, and then loopback, and you can see all the commands that I used for setting up the loopback, which is what my um, droid cam uses. And also, what OBS uses to make a fake webcam so that you can use your uh, screen share as a webcam. And then just looking at all the history, you can see um, get pulls, uh, clean and makes, and you, the whole process of installing and setting up loopback just using history and grep. So, history, pipe, and grep. So, those are a couple of other things that are extremely useful. Just for seeing what you've done before with history. Grep will just find a specific um, what uh, series of characters. So, yeah. It's also, if you want to look at log files, you can use grep to find a specific something in log files like your graphics card or something like that. Um, like LSCPU will give you a whole lot of information, but like I can use 
LSCPU and then pipe and then grep and then Ryzen and that will tell that I'm using a AMD Ryzen 5 3600 6 core processor. And just to clarify in case anyone might uh, might have missed might have misunderstood that pipe is not a command written out as pipe but the pipe symbol. Yes. And then LSPCI um, will tell you everything that's hooked up to um, PCI slots. So that's also something where grep comes in handy to find something specific or what LS USB and that's all your USB devices everything that's hooked up over USB. So sometimes you need a device ID in order to be able to um, load a module, but you have to find said device ID. So sometimes the only way to do that is to disconnect the USB device, do an LS USB, and then reconnect said um, USB device and find what got added to the list. And then you can use the ID to go and find specific drivers and install them. But that that's that's digging deep for command line stuff right there. Um, does anybody else have anything they want to add? The only other time I used the command line was to find webcams that weren't working. I don't know what happened to Cheese, but uh, I think their maintainer might be sleeping or... Not there. Yeah, it is good for finding webcams, especially on like uh, tablets where it does require, in some instances, specific modules to be added in order for those webcams to work, or for older webcams that aren't necessarily supported anymore, or touch pads, or even touch screens in some instances. And then you're looking for um, hid devices. So. Yeah, command line is helpful for that. And if that's all, then we're ready to move on to vibrations from the ether. Okay, we did get a couple of feedbacks from listeners. Does anybody want to read this other than me? Okay, going once, going twice, and it's me! Okay. This is from William Hauser. Greetings. I have been a listener on Mittencast for about a year and a half. Um, on the two most recent episodes, you mentioned that you were in the process of searching for at least one new co-host. It is to this endeavor I offer myself as a possible candidate. I have been a steady Linux user since 2006 and to a lesser extent back to 2002. I have two machines dual booting Windows 11, one of which is running Arch, cha-ching, and the other Kubuntu 2010. I also maintain a few servers in my home lab, one running Ubuntu Server 2110, which runs a Nextcloud instance, as well as a Jellyfin Docker container. I have a Rockport running Armbian, which is running another Nextcloud instance, that all the devices in the family back up to. Both of my servers are storing everything on a ZFS mirror. I also have four Raspberry Pis doing various things, including a Pi-hole server. I am 100% self-taught with all of these things. My skills in Linux and open source software come from years of research and good old trial and error, mostly error. 
I do not work in the tech field. I've been a truck driver based out of Indiana for close to 28 years. Ever since I served in the Army during the early 90s, I'm a bit of a singularity in my line of work. Given the things I'm interested in, though I have successfully converted four of my fellow drivers to Linux on their old hardware that they thought they couldn't use anymore. I would bring some of that unique perspective to the show as someone who is not usually surrounded by technical people. I take Linux and open source software on the road with me on my laptop, as well as my Android devices. I happily use a Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus, which I believe Joe mentioned is the model he uses. Linux and open source software is my passion, and I really enjoy talking about it and sharing my experiences and what I've learned. I hope you'll consider me as part of your team. I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Bill. And I did respond. You should join the Discord. That is where we have our meetings and get new hosts. You sound like you would be a good fit. But we also have two other people that are supposed to be joining. But you never know how things will break out. If you see us in a room talking, feel free to join us. And then William responded right on. I just did that. I had to create an account and get the appropriate apps. I've never used Discord before. It seems pretty good. Anyway, thanks for getting back to me. I look forward to chewing the fat with you guys. Sincerely, Bill. And now I'm, this was all in like the last two days. So we had, didn't really have like a lot of setup time to get um, Bill on the show today. We'll be happy to have you on the next show, Bill. And we'll get everything set up. Ping one of us, me, Josh, Norbert, Nishant, if he's on, and uh, we'll get you set up as Mintcast crew, and we will give you access to the next set of show notes, and you can start um, putting things in from there. Um, and then we also got an email from Highlander. Um And he said, for a while now, I've known that it was impossible to customize, uh, that it was possible to customize the Grub bootloader. Grub Customizer has been used for years now. Recently, I find that it is possible to also put your choice of picture in the background of the bootloader screen. While logged into your administrator user account, use the Thunar file manager to put your picture into slash boot slash grub. You will need to right-click on the name of the user account inside Thunar File Manager and then click Open as Root. Find this file folder slash boot slash grub. When you are in that file folder, you can right-click and then click Paste. If your picture has a PNG file extension, it should work reasonably well for you. You will probably get the best results by using Grub Customizer, Thunar File Manager, and the terminal command sudo update grub without quotes inside Linux Mint. Have fun. Right on. And going back to Bill's email real quick, uh, I've also been a commercial driver for a little over 20 years, and uh, I know what he's talking about being a bit of a an anomaly in the field that you work in when you uh, dabble into the more technical areas. But, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome to have him on, have a fellow uh, uh, truck driver on here. Yeah, it's about the same way I used to put computers together, too. And I still do. I pick them up at the thrift store and put Linux on them. I try to upgrade all the hardware I possibly can. Sometimes you can't, <laughs> you just can't change the hardware, all right? I try to pick up deals on uh, Facebook Marketplace for stuff that's broken, that's decent. 
and and try and get it working again and then put Linux on it and and then, you know, say, yes, I got it working when everybody else gave up on it. Yeah, isn't that one of the great parts about Linux is you can take some of these really old pieces of hardware. I remember I had a bunch of Dell Dimensions that were single-core Pentium chips, and, uh, yeah, you can kind of resurrect them with a nice lightweight Linux distro and make them useful again. Yeah, that's what I do. I try to... I keep all my old distros, too, because they seem to be getting rid of 32-bit. Yeah, um, there isn't a whole lot of distros left that still do 32-bit. I think MX is one of the last holdouts. Debian. I think Debian. Does Debian itself? Yeah. I'm not sure. I I haven't been keeping track. Antics, yeah. Antics. Antics look pretty good for me on a couple of them. I uh, was handed two old laptops. I mean old. They were old enough that I had to go look for them 32-bits that fly under the radar, you know? They're hard to find. You bet. I got a couple of Toshiba tablets that are 32-bit only. Those were fun to get working with MX. That's the only reason I know that MX still does a (laughs) 32-bit. All right. Now we get to move on to check this out. have two items in the check this out section and i believe that they belong to josh oh the first one does and this is just rehashing what i brought up in our intersection but uh i got a link there to joe collins bash basic series i just found it so helpful it's an eight-part series it's lengthy but again uh joe approaches it from a very very brand new user uh, perspective. So if you're someone that's sitting there on a Linux distribution or you're thinking about coming over and you're a little worried about uh, the terminal, I highly recommend this series. And uh, yeah, it starts you off from ground zero and uh, gets you up and running. Yeah, his videos are pretty good. They're excellent. Joe's a wonderful teacher. So yeah, highly recommended. And Norbert, I'm assuming this next one's yours. Indeed it is. It's a GNOME extension that I encountered a couple of months ago. It's called bedtime mode. What it does is uh, at the time that you set it to do, it turns your entire screen to black and white, which is meant to uh, encourage you to stop working and go to bed in time. But I found a different (laughs) use case for it that is quite the opposite. Because, you know, uh, there are various uh, blue light filters and GNOME also has a built-in one to reduce eye strain when you're working at night in the dark. But even with a blue light filter turned on, it doesn't get rid of all the blue light, it just reduces it, which makes some things on the display look kind of weird or bad. But I realized that if I enable both the blue light filter and GNOME bedtime mode, then it first applies the bedtime mode and turns everything into black and white, then it applies the blue light filter on top of that. So you get a really nice sepia effect, which I think doesn't have any blue light. Or maybe it does, but it has significantly less blue light than with only using the blue light filter, because it applies the filter on top of the black and white picture. So even if you don't consider that blue light, that, that, that not having blue light is better for your eyes, it also looks way better than, for example, just applying a blue light filter. Gnome Bedtime was intended to <laughs> keep you from working late, but I think it can also be used to Uh, improve your work experience at night. Well, that's interesting. Uh, 
on to announcements. Our next episode will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, the 26th of December. And you can, we do have a link to convert that to your time zone in the show notes. And our next live stream will be next Saturday, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on the 18th of December, hopefully. Um, and you also have a link to convert that to your time zone. Now, I will say that with the 18th and the 26th both, this is the holiday season, so things can change. Availability may change. Um, currently, I think I'm the only one set up to stream on the 18th, and I'm hoping I'm not driving on the 18th to Florida. I might wait till the 19th to drive to Florida or the 20th, but um, hopefully it won't be a problem. And now on to wrap up. Uh, for myself, you can catch me in a couple other podcasts. I'm at tllts.org. That's the Linux Link Tech Show. Um, also, I'm on the Linux Lugcast. You can find that at linuxlugcast.com. Um, we should be recording this upcoming Friday again. If you want to join us there, the information should be on the website. Um, you can catch me on MeWe, or you can send me an email directly, jb at mincast.org, and I also have a Kofi link if you want to check the show notes for that. Norbert, where can we find you? You can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org. And lately I've been more active in our Telegram group, so you can also find me there. Yep, it's a very active Telegram group. I highly recommend it for everybody. Sadly, at 2am when it's really jumping in there, I have to silence it so i can do that crazy thing where i sleep yeah i'm muted too that londoner just gets up too early i don't think he sleeps either all right and the other 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 josh where can we find you you can send me an email at jt at mintcast.org find me at josh thacker on discord and at metal underscore foss on twitter Okay, and Nishant was not able to join us this week. He should hopefully be back on either the next show or in the new year. Um, but if you want, you can send Nishant an email, nishant at mintcast.org. You can catch him on Instagram at RykonGhost or RykonGhost at GitHub, ghost.rykon on Discord, and maverick00783 on Steam. And Clayton, where can we find you? Uh, I have nothing to share there, Joe. I don't want any extra emails. I got everybody having a Black Friday sale going on. You know what I mean? Yep. Okay. Um, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, and RD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our backup Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clown. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. 
Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Mid- I don't hear no music, Joe. Hey, folks, it's that time of year again. Time for the Hacker Public Radio 24 Hours New Year's Eve show. We encourage everyone to join us for stimulating conversation and maybe send a Happy New Year's greeting to the HBR community. We plan on starting at 10 a.m. UTC, December 31st, also known as 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will keep the recording going until 12 a.m. UTC, January 1st, also known as 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless people are still on and talking. To join us, all you have to do is install Mumble. It is available on all platforms, including iOS and Android. Then, just create a nick and go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details. Connect, join the Hacker Public Radio room, and you're there. If you can't join us in Mumble, but would like to hear the show live, we will have a stream up so you can listen. You can go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details of the stream. So come on and join us. It's always a good time.